My handle is Jonathan Blade. Welcome to my podcast. So, Marvel's back, baby. With the Disney Plus shows and the release of Black Widow, it's a return to one of our remaining global pleasures, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I've enjoyed almost all of this content, good, bad, or indifferent. The fact that it exists gives me a warm fuzzy. I enjoyed WandaVision, which I actually did an episode about, I believe. A little quick take on that. I enjoyed Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which was not quite as popular generally, but kind of falls into more of my wheelhouse as, uh, as to what I was expecting from these projects. And I've enjoyed Loki. Loki is also a swing for the fences, uh, an introduction to a concept that will dominate this phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I didn't expect it to be fully introduced here in Loki, but it was. Uh, it went all the way with that. Spoilers. The sixth episode, the last episode of this season of Loki, introduced us to... Well, the character is going to ultimately be known as Kang, Jonathan Majors as Kang. But this version was actually Immortus, even though they didn't give him a proper name, they just called him the One Who Remains. Uh, Immortus is the final version of Kang. Or actually, in the comic books, and I didn't know this, I, I knew that, that Kang has many identities over the course of time in the 616, which is the comic book Marvel Universe. He started off as Ramatut. Now he starts off as Iron Lad, because that's a newer character. Iron Lad, Ramatut, the Scarlet Centurion, Kang, and then Amortis is his final form. But every version of Kang doesn't go through every transformation, because the Kangs represent multiple timelines, multiple universes, which now live in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Multiple universes with the introduction of Kang, of Jonathan Majors Kang. So that is the most important thing that happened in that sixth episode. Loki in general has been fine. I enjoy what they're doing kind of more as a concept. I find a lot of the, the series to be spinning its wheels, and I actually don't like the human-centric presentation of the TVA. Like, it's presented as a human bureaucracy run by human beings, but it affects the entire universe. That doesn't make sense to me. That's really a small gripe in the bigger picture. It's fun. Loki's fun. They presented many pruned Lokis. So timelines, uh, the TVA's purpose, which I guess I should have started with, the TVA's purpose is to make sure that there is one master timeline and any possibility of branches from that timeline are pruned before they can branch into alternate realities. It doesn't really make sense if you consider what the Many Worlds theory actually is, but for comic books, it's fine. Uh, Lokis have a proclivity to cause branches because they are agents of chaos. And when these creatures, when these Lokis are removed from the timeline, they're sent to a void at the end of time. And so the land at the end of time is just full of Lokis, basically. Still very human-centric. It's supposed to be fun and interesting. It is fun and interesting. It's fine. But the thing that kind of rubbed me raw, because everything in the series kind of worked for me, even though I didn't... I love the concept more than I love the execution, but it still worked for me. But Jonathan Majors as Immortus, 
And this was a big swing. Everybody was very happy to hear this. Yeah, Jonathan Majors. That was not for me. His performance is very arrhythmic, which it was supposed to be. It's supposed to represent a crazy person. But there were other aspects of that performance. that I was like, oh, this might be a mistake. The thing is that Jonathan Majors will probably be playing various aspects of who Kang is over the course of time, over the course of this phase. So he might be Kang in more than one version of that character. He may present as the Scarlet Centurion. He may present as Ramatut. They'll maybe even de-age him so he can be Iron Lad. So there's nothing to fear from this performance. And also, other people seem to enjoy this performance quite a bit. So good for Jonathan Majors. Probably good for the MCU. I do like that he is kind of a non-standard presentation for Big Bad. But the presentation that he gave as Immortus is not what that character will be as the Big Bad. Anyway, we'll see. Loki, definitely worth watching. Big swing for the fences, as WandaVision was a big swing for the fences. I like the idea of the big swing for the fences, but of the three series, I probably... It's not that I liked Falcon the Winter Soldier the most, but it was probably more in the wheelhouse of what I was looking for. I like them all, probably WandaVision the most, actually, which is surprising. But uh, yeah, WandaVision is probably my favorite and then Winter Soldier and Loki both have things to offer. They're both fine. I would watch them again. Probably will watch them again at some point. So with that out of the way, let's get to the main course, the main event, the return of the Marvel Cinematic Universe on screen in the form of Black Widow. Now, just the presentation of an idea for this movie is exactly what I wanted from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Captain America the Winter Soldier is my favorite movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's probably one of my favorite movies of all time. And I was thinking, after seeing the trailers and hearing a little bit about what the story would be, that we would be getting something that was squarely in that wheelhouse, something squarely in that vein, spy thriller action with an emphasis on the action. A tight story with intrigue and the focus uh, on relationships. And it has all that, but it is not, Black Widow's not, Captain America the Winter Soldier. It's something different. It's a different genre of movie. Uh, If you watch the movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they do a thing where they are fun sci-fi action romps, kind of sprinkled with another genre of movie. And I don't know if that's a genius for promotion or a way to bring people in so they can say, oh, no, this is actually this kind of movie. But in the case of Black Widow, it's like a family relationship movie, like a, a woman's relationship movie, like as a genre. And it makes it something different than what I was expecting. I was expecting all the relationships and the family aspect, but There's a point in the movie, which is actually quite good, but jarring for me personally, where the movie stops. It stops for like 15 minutes so it can focus on the family aspect, so they can have dialogues and they can have have cathartic moments, reminiscing, and it's not bad. It's not bad at all. Everybody's pulling their weight, but somehow it, once again, like Jonathan Major's performance, it's atonal to the kind of movie that we're watching. And it's not that I didn't like it, but it was jarring to me. I guess I should tell you what this movie's about. 
Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow, who's an Avenger, who grew up as a super spy for a clandestine organization that is kind of splintered off of the former uh, USSR, trained in the Red Room. The Red Room kidnaps young girls and spends their early life training them, breaking them to become ultimate uh, femme fatale-style assassins. Natasha Romanoff is probably one of their prized pupils coming from that program. She made a decision to get out at some point. She did. She murdered the person who was the head of the Red Room, so she thought, and she became an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. and then an Avenger. And then she spent her time trying to uh, make amends for all the damage that she had done, all the murders, all of the blood on her hands. As she said uh, several times, her ledger is dripping red with blood, because that was her job, to kill people, probably in that femme fatale way, which they don't really focus on at all because it's the Marvel Cinematic Universe and sex doesn't really come into it that often. Like, they talk about what they do to these girls. They, they give them all hysterectomies so they can't get pregnant. Part of that is so that they don't have connections in life uh, later on, but it's also, I would imagine, so that they can be femme fatales and use their assets. I was listening to a review, and someone was talking about how the ladies in the Red Room are all ballerina types. They're all lithe, uh, like lady panthers. And they were like, why are there no big girls, no big, bulky, brawny girls in the Red Room if they're just assassins? Well, it's because they're not just assassins. They're meant to uh, be double agents. They're meant to uh, go in covertly, seduce people, whatever it takes. But that is part of the trope. If they were soldiers, if the Red Room ladies were trained just as soldiers, then you could have all kinds. But under the circumstances, it makes sense. Might not be politically correct, but the job itself is not terribly politically correct. So it's understandable. Also, and this is a me thing as well, the second Black Widow presented in this movie as a specific character, Florence Pugh, uh, in this movie she's tight-toned as everyone else is, but she's, um, she's a modern dancer to the ballerinas of the Red Room, and that's not anything to say about how beautiful Florence Pugh is. I think that she's very attractive with her uh, permanent bratty pout. Actually, that's her thing, is the bratty pout bratty character. Actually, she is probably the most charming, disarming character in the movie because her role of little sister is what she's playing up here. So she's kind of a bratty little sister. She's she's charming. She is juxtaposed nicely against uh, what Natasha is, which is uh, cool and distant. Also charming, but in a different way. Actually, Scarlett Johansson is probably... I didn't realize this until I watched until I watched Under the Skin, but Scarlett Johansson may be one of my favorite actors. She is one of my favorite actors. And you wouldn't think it because what she does is, is kind of specific. She's not Meryl Streep inhabiting a bunch of different kinds of roles or whatever, but what she does is, is magical for me. That, that flirty distance that she maintains... That coolness uh, that she maintains is a big draw for me, I guess. Because I've been a fan of Scarlett Johansson probably since Lost in Translation, I think. Like, I saw Ghost World, but I don't remember her in Ghost World. Or The Horse Whisperer, I believe that was her as well. 
But I do remember her in Lost in Translation because that is, I'm a big fan of that movie as well. She does a really good job here. I don't know that this is the best send-off for that character. I kind of wish they had gone bigger for her and had her go bigger. She is guarded as a character. The character of Natasha Romanoff is guarded. And she remains guarded. She does have kind of a breakthrough at the end of the movie. But Florence Pugh is kind of a bigger personality in the movie as kind of a co-star. And then her other co-stars, David Harbour. People are loving what David Harbour did. And <laughs> and he's got his own charms as well. But David Harbour plays Big Dumb Dad. And that's he's comic relief. And I do not like specific comic relief characters. I like comedy and I like movies where people are having fun and are funny. And everybody can be funny. But at this point... Nobody has to be just the big, dumb comic relief character. You don't need David Harbour to do that. You don't need Melissa McCarthy to do that. You don't need Tyrese to do that. Nobody has to be the buffoon in any of these movies anymore. I think that trope can go away. People can be funny. People can have fun. Let everybody be in on the joke and let everybody be useful. David Harbour is one of the few actual superhumans in the movie and they kind of cut his legs out and make him useless, and I hate that. But it is what it is. Rachel Weiss is also uh, an older black widow who is in the movie and part of this this created family unit that is represented in the movie. It's about Natasha dealing with her feelings about family and probably dealing with the reasons that she's so guarded as a person. She's been betrayed uh, many times in her life. Black Widow deals with sins of the past, it deals with found family, and it deals with espionage-style action. Kind of starts off as Bourne, ends as James Bond, and it's fine. I had a good time. I enjoyed it overall, but it could have been a little bit better for me. One thing is that the third act that people are kind of unhappy with, like as a Marvel movie, you're kind of contracted to have to do that big third act so you can keep these CGI companies working and... uh and on your payroll, I don't mind a gigantic third act. It's an action movie. It should have a gigantic third act. But the big sci-fi, special effects heavy third act, I don't think this movie needed. I know it's about Natasha finding redemption and finding, uh, discovering what she values as a person in life. So you can't have her just going around killing people. But I kind of would have liked to have a big martial arts murder fest at the end of the movie. She's the perfect character for that kind of movie, and it's not really what Marvel does, but I think that would have been amazing. Bride versus the, uh, what was it, the Crazy 88? Something like that at the end of the movie would have been all about that. But I still enjoyed it. It was a good time. I think that Florence Pugh has a big future in the MCU. Like I said, big charm, and she represents something a little different. From my point of view, as far as presentation and who occupies these roles, which is something I think that will be true for the Marvel Cinematic Universe going forward generally. More different kinds of people occupying these roles, more people getting to feel like their heroes are the heroes that are on screen. I'm happy for it. I'm excited to see what the future brings. But yeah, I, I give my recommendation to Black Widow. It's Marvel polished, it's slick. It's funny, and it's affecting. The emotions presented, these family ties, are fairly believable. 
all throughout. You notice I haven't mentioned the big bad? The big bad is a sins of the past big bad, and he's just kind of there. They do make him egregiously terrible, so that you have no uh, affection for him at all. He's not your traditional charming big bad. He's not the kind of character that you would like to see again and again. He's kind of in that Malekith territory. <laughs> More interesting than that. More interesting than Malekith. But it, his existence brings a bunch of questions. When you watch a Marvel movie like this, and the Red Room split off from the Soviet Union, it's its own organization. The Big Bad is the commander of the Red Room. The Red Room is a global organization. It's like Cobra or Hydra, but it's not part of Hydra. And it has infiltrated powers, probably corporations and governments globally, but not on Hydra's radar. Like, how does this exist independently of Hydra? That's a uh, question that's probably not important, but it's one I could not help thinking about after we find out how big the reach of the Red Room is. So that's me. But yeah, beyond that, you know, big picture, that's unimportant. It's kind of a, it's not even a Cinema Sins level thing. The action's hot. I did not mention what I thought of the action. It's good. They keep the camera far enough away that you can see what's going on. There are some scenes that have kind of staccato, born cuts, quick, quick cuts, but you can tell what's going on. You can tell what the geography of those scenes are, and it's not every scene that's like that. Just a few. Uh, something that was surprising to me is that early in the movie, they spend time focusing I know that one of Marvel's, I think probably spoken mandates, is that they don't want to sexualize women, especially after Scarlett Johansson said that I felt like a piece of meat in Iron Man 2. But there are some shots that really frame uh, Scarlett Johansson's derriere nicely. And it's a nice derriere, but it was surprising that they did that, especially because the director is a woman. She's an Australian indie director named Kate Shortland. I haven't seen any of her stuff. Uh, my understanding is that she's very good at what she does. She's very good at what she does here. Actually, if you rank uh, Black Widow among the pantheon of Marvel movies, I'd put it squarely in the middle. Uh, better than Ant-Man <laughs> is the metric I used with my son. Hey, it was better than Ant-Man. And he's like, well, that's not hard. Everything's better than Ant-Man. Which is, uh, that's a us thing, too. That's how we feel. But uh, it's better than Captain Marvel, which, unlike a lot of other people, I don't hate Captain Marvel, but it's better than Captain Marvel. It's probably squarely above the middle. So uh, whatever you consider the middle of the pack, it's a little bit ahead of that. So what are there, 23 movies? It'd be in, like, uh, maybe the 12th, 13th best range without thinking about what the movies actually are. Not Captain America the Winter Soldier, once again, which is my favorite. Go see it. So that's me on Marvel as of this moment. Uh, I'm excited for What If. I'm extraordinarily excited for What If. Go big. Show me the big Marvel stuff. I like the crazy stuff. Go all in. I like the idea of crazy stuff. And Loki, Loki just didn't present the crazy stuff in a spectacular way. It just presented crazy stuff as a, a framing device for what the story was. I want to see that spectacle, baby. They did expand Loki's power, which was nice. They showed Loki doing stuff that made you say, why didn't he ever do anything like that before? He had, like, crazy powerful telekinesis. Never had that before. But I'm getting off track, and I'm done. Hey, if you want to talk to me about Black Widow or Loki or any of the Marvel Cinematic Universe or any of the Disney Plus properties, hit me up on Twitter. 
Janky Old Broke Hobo Spider-Man at Jonathan Blade. Otherwise, we hope to catch you in the next one, and thanks for listening.